Thank you for choosing to connect with North Collins Wesleyan Church. We are a church of all ages that is passionate about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our congregation enjoys worship, fellowship, discipleship, and community outreach. Our worship services are every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. found in North Collins, New York. The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Justin Leininger. Again, thank you for joining with us, and we hope you enjoy. As a parent, 50% of my life is spent answering questions. 50% of my life spent answering questions. Now, I know, I know, for those of you who are parents or are often around young children, you know that I am exaggerating a little bit, right? There's a little bit of exaggeration in that exaggeration because the truth is, as a parent, I don't have a life. I don't have a life. And honestly, if we're putting a number on this, the number would not be 50%. The number of of my life spent answering questions would be much closer to 75% of my life. And the other 75% is, is spent supplying snacks. And I know if you're thinking, oh, I'm a mathematician, and that adds up to 150%, and that doesn't make sense. It's not 100%. Well, I would say to you, welcome to parenthood. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Questions are important. Questions are important. In fact, questions are how we learn. Questions are how we grow. They are how we become better and more. And I believe successful people regularly ask questions. We do. We ask questions and we grow. Questions are important. I did a little research on questions, and this led me to conversationstartersworld.com. That's a real thing where they list the funniest conversation starter questions you can ask. And I thought I would highlight some of these for you. For the future, you might find these beneficial in one way, shape, or form so enjoy. The first is a question I've heard before, but it still puzzles me a little bit. It's a wonderful question. It is this, is cereal a soup? Is cereal a soup? And if not, explain to me why not? Why is cereal not a soup? Because clearly it reaches all the things that make a soup, right? Cereal is a soup. The next one's kind of like it, but different. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Is a hot dog, a sandwich. And I know for those of us around here in Western New York who take our hot dogs very seriously, what are they called? Sneedlackers or something? Um, oh, Salem's hot dogs. Yes, we take them very seriously. Yes, of course, a hot dog has to be a sandwich, right? Like it's full sandwich status. Next question, what is the weirdest smell you have ever smelled? What is the weirdest smell you have ever smelled. That's a good one. And first, let me pat myself on the back for a second, because if I'm honest, some of the weirdest smells I've ever smelled are churches, right? Let's just be honest. It's true. Some of the churches are the weirdest smells, and our church does not smell that bad. You're welcome for that. Next one, how do you feel? This one's big. It's going to divide us, and that's okay. How do you feel about putting pineapple on pizza. Pineapple on pizza. Let me say very clearly, it is the worst thing in the world that you can do to a pizza. Next to, next to the thing that it has been popular around here for some reason, and that is putting pickles on pizza. Also, an egregious foul, and it is gross. Both reasons, really, not because of the pickles or the pineapples, but because of the juice, right? Like the juice in the sauce, pineapple juice, pickle, ah, it cannot be done. It ruins it completely. Now let's unify us, because what is 
Next question, what is the best type of cheese? And in this, I am a full Western New Yorker. The best cheese, there is only one cheese, and it is blue cheese, and it is wonderful. And how do you make pineapple ruined pizza in any way edible? Dip it in blue cheese. Am I right? Yes. Yes. It's the pizza is bad. Dip it in blue cheese and it becomes better. I, I could argue with you a little bit in that or debate that because the truth is there are a lot of wonderful cheeses out there, aren't there? Like there are a ton of wonderful cheeses. Next question. What's the worst name that you can give a child? What's the worst name that you can give a child? Now there are a lot of wonderfully horrible options out there, right? There are so many of them, and hopefully no one's thinking my name, my name. And, and it's not your name because the answer is actually pretty easy because I'm guessing that no one here is named Judas or Hitler, which are absolutely the worst names that you can give a kid. There are other bad options though, right? There are other bad options. Next one, two more questions. I like these both. Next one, what movie would be greatly improved if it was turned into a musical? And the answer to that is none of them ever because no movie deserves that. I understand Disney movies and music. It's a cartoon, whatever. That's fine. I get that just a little bit. But could you imagine Star Wars if all of a sudden Darth Vader just started singing? That would be horrible. That would be horrendous. It would be. None of them. Last question, and this is an awesome one for you to ponder. It probably means you won't think about the rest of this sermon because you'll be too connected with this one. But if there was a battle... If there was a battle, how many chickens would it take to defeat an elephant? If there was a battle between chickens and elephants, and there are a lot more chickens in this world, but how many chickens would it take to defeat an an elephant? That is a great question, right? That is a wonderful question. Please don't dwell on that too long. Think about it later. Now, a little pastoral insight, a little insight from your pastor about sermons. With every message, I seek to have a clear purpose. And you've probably heard me talk about this before. I I always think that a sermon has to have a purpose. Otherwise, what are we doing? And it's okay that there are different purposes because Scripture is different. And oftentimes, God leads and pulls in different directions. But I believe that there's always a purpose to a message, to a sermon. And it might be to pull at our hearts. It might be to bring us to a response, to motivate us, to teach us something or provide clarity. All of those are valuable and awesome sermons Every once in a while, a message comes along that is simply about, its purpose is simply about getting us to ask real and valuable questions. Real and valuable questions because questions are important. They are how we learn. They are how we grow. And I believe successful people, successful people ask themselves questions. They challenge themselves to be more because they recognize there is more. I ask myself questions all the time. As a parent, as a husband, as a pastor, I ask questions. As a church, we ask ourselves questions all the time. We do this. I know sometimes I irritate our church board and leadership because I am always asking questions about how there can be more. And that is good because we recognize in North Collins there is somewhere over 3,500 people. And if you put the village of North Collins in that, there's 5,000 plus people. And if you take every community that is represented by people who come to our church, the number comes to be somewhere around 28,000 people. And we will continue to ask ourselves questions until every one of them has heard about the good news of Jesus Christ. And if they need to, has heard about it a second and a third and a fourth time, we will ask ourselves questions because we believe 
there is more, right? And I want you to hear this this morning, if you hear nothing else, for your life, there is more. And I don't know as we begin this new year what God is opening up in your heart. Maybe it's about your personal walk with him. Maybe it's your challenge as a family member, as a parent, as a relative. Maybe it's to challenge you as a friend. Maybe it's your challenge as a part of this church community or the greater community around you. But there is more. And if God has laid it on your heart that there is something more, I encourage you, ask yourself the meaningful questions that can help you make a difference, help you use every opportunity in your life. As a Wesleyan church, we try not to make too many rules to live by. And you're at a Wesleyan church, and I don't know if that means anything to you or not, and it's okay if it doesn't. But one of the things I think it means is we as a church, we try not to put too many rules in place. We depend upon the Holy Spirit, who as Christians dwells in us, to challenge us and pull us forward in life, to guide us to decisions that we should make, to either take a new step or to give up something or whatever that is in our walk. That's what we believe. Now, oftentimes people desire for me as a pastor to preach against things. And I'll be honest, it's just not part of my character to preach against things. It happens sometimes because it just has to, but usually I don't like to preach against things. I like to preach for things. I don't like to preach against life. I recognize that Jesus says in John 10, 10, he's come to give us life and life to the fullest. I want to preach for a full life for all of us and for you. That's our purpose as a church. That's my purpose as a pastor. The goal is never to help us feel badly about ourselves, and I hope you don't feel that. The goal is for us to be challenged and empowered to be more. Today, as we start this new year, be challenged and empowered by some questions. I encourage you not to look at anyone else. Don't think about anyone else and how they should answer these questions. Think about yourself Think about your direct area of influence, your family. What do these questions mean to you, to the life you live and the practices that you keep? And remember, we don't want to tell you how to live life, but we want to tell you that there is more and that life can be better. There is more in this world. So our questions as we come into 2020, we're going to find some valuable thoughts and questions this morning in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be looking at chapter 6, verses 12 to 20. In your pew chair Bibles, if you want to look there, you can. It's found on page 1,131. 1,131, 1 Corinthians 6, chapter, 6 uh, the 6th chapter, verses 12 to 20. Now in this passage, just a little thought here. A lot of the books in the New Testament, that later part of Scripture, they are Paul's writings, and they are his writings to certain churches that he has these letters to. And so 1 Corinthians is actually a letter that Paul wrote to the people of Corinth, the Corinthians, the Christians there. And so in this passage, he's talking about Christian living, basically, and he's specifically talking to them in this passage about immorality, which is a big issue. Now, one little thought. You'll notice that we're going to skip two verses in this passage. Excuse me. We do that because we recognize we have a lot of children present, and so we want to limit the questions that they may have from this passage, although it's always wonderful to talk and valuable to talk to our kids. But we're just going to skip two verses. I think you'll understand, and it is okay. You can read them for yourselves if you want to. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. This is what it says. It says, and Paul says, and actually he starts and he's quoting here. Paul starts with this quote. He says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. Again, he quotes, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. 
You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. We're going to skip ahead to verse 17. It says, whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Verse 18 says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And then verse 19 and 20 are of such quality and value to us. It says this, it says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You were bought at a price. As we delve into this passage, it is important for us to know that what Paul is trying to help the Christians here in Corinth with. They are in the midst of the reason, the philosophy, the thoughts of Roman culture. And so Paul is basically trying to battle against that thought a bit. And, and he's battling against their understanding of freedom. They, their understanding of freedom being that they can do anything and that much of their actions don't hold eternal significance in any way, shape, or form. And, and further, their beliefs that allow them for sexual immorality, especially from men. While our culture and beliefs may be drastically different today, maybe we should be honest with how it isn't. We also like to think that we have the freedom to do anything, the, to live whatever lifestyle we want, to think that many of our actions have no real, eternal, or lasting significance, and that allows us to be immoral in a lot, a lot, a lot of ways, right? And so Paul proposes some thoughts, and from these thoughts, they will bring us to some important questions. I encourage you to record these questions and openly, honestly, and directly ask yourself, how do these apply to me in this moment with what God has laid on my heart? As I come into this new year, how do these apply to me, to my lifestyle, to my decisions? And recognize, yes, Paul is speaking specifically to the Christians in Corinth about immorality because that's a big issue for them. May we recognize in our culture, if we are honest, it's a pretty big deal for us as well, right? We're not that different. And, and I know it makes us awkward and we don't like to talk about those things like immorality in church. In fact, I'm sure you would love for me to change the subject often. In fact, it makes it awkward and it would be great if we talked about anything else than dwell on this right now. And it would be great just to dwell on it, just to let awkwardness like hang in the air, right? And we don't want to talk about those things. I understand that, but I encourage you to recognize it is real, right? immorality is real in our culture and in our lives. But let us also recognize that these thoughts can be applied to whatever God is stirring in our lives. And for many of us, it might be immorality, but it could also be our diet, our use of drugs and alcohol. It could be our time spent on social media. It could be how we allow TV and the internet to impact us, what we watch on in, or read in terms of news and how we allow ourselves or drive ourselves to be influenced it could further be our friendships, our hobbies, our work relationships, our marriage, or extramarital relationships. I encourage you to recognize you know you and God knows you. What is on your heart right now? What has God laid on your heart right now? What are you, and more importantly, what is God trying to lead you to grow in? Apply these questions to that thought as we begin this year. The first direction Paul goes in is to ask. He basically makes a statement. He says, okay, you have the right to do anything. You have the right to do anything. 
But is it beneficial? Is it beneficial? New to our family this holiday season is the addition of a Nintendo Switch to our our family and our house. And if you don't know what a Nintendo Switch is, it's a video game system. I greatly, I greatly enjoyed watching over the holiday season, watching my four-year-old son Sawyer play video games, specifically on his, his uncle, my brother Jimmy's iPad, and watching them play video games together. And it amazes me how a four-year-old is so gifted at technology, how well he can use that iPad and play these games. It's amazing to me how bright he is. And it's going to be useful in his life. And it was fun watching him play these like brain teaser games, these games where there's like this, this grid of nine by nine squares and there are all these different colored dots that he has to connect the colors to. But like when you make a line to connect one, you can't cross that line. And so he's got to figure out how to like connect all these nine different colors. And and like these are things that like for an adult are hard. And here he is a four-year-old making all of these connections and solving these problems. It is, it's awesome to be honest with you. It's really cool to see how bright he is and to see him learn these things. Now, I'll be honest, I grew up playing video games and I enjoy them. And I won't be one of those people who say like video games are bad, they're all just bad. I won't. There's a lot of benefit for them. And for us as a family, I recognize there's a lot of benefit there. There's family time, there's fun time, and there's something that all of us need sometimes. There's decompression brain time, right? Where you just let your brain breathe and that is okay. There is value, there is benefit there. But I recognize, and this is our way of doing this. So So you think this through for yourself, but this is our way of doing it. Our kids don't have their own systems. And trust me, they want their own systems. The one that they have ownership of possession of. The one that sits in their room and is theirs. They don't have their own systems. We have family systems. We have family systems because we want to stress the things that we think are beneficial, which is family time together. And we recognize that. I, as a kid, I grew up with a video game system in my bedroom, and, and I'll be honest with you, I, I sort of think it was because my parents thought, like, we put a TV in there, we put a video game system in there, and the house is quiet, right? Like, it's an awesome thing, right? Like, it's silent, yay! Like, what parent doesn't feel that? But at the same time, I recognize I was very lucky that I was playing a Super Nintendo and a Nintendo 64, because it was like, what... At that time, to be honest, like the trouble that you could get in with those, I don't know what that was. Like I was playing Mario and and those kinds of things, and I recognize that. I recognize that the world has changed, right? And I don't want to get on a rabbit trail, but the world has changed. So for our family, we have family systems and family space. We do this together, and we recognize that, yes, there can be a lot about video games and things like that that can be harmful. And we ask ourselves, honestly, what is beneficial? How is it beneficial? There are a lot of things in this world that, yes, we are free to do, but are they beneficial? Last week, we spoke about being directional and intentional, about zeroing in and having true goals that we go after. This question is about what gets us to our goals. Is it beneficial? Is, these, is this something, are these things that intentionally help or do they hinder what we're trying to achieve in our lives? Many of the things in this world that we are free, free to do, yes, they hinder what we're trying to be directional in accomplishing for our families, for our friendships, for our spiritual walk, for our life. Yes, we are free to do them, but are they helping or hindering the goals that we're trying to achieve? Now, I 
as a pastor, when I wrote this, I sh- I'm struggling a little bit here because if I can be honest with you, I'm resisting mentioning anything specific because I can go off in like 85 different rabbit trails right now. I want you to know that that is in me and I'm resisting because I don't want to preach at anything. I'm not, I don't even want to preach at video games and those kind of things. I don't want to preach at those things, but I do recognize that we can handle this question and you know what's on your heart right now. Are our practices beneficial for the big things we are trying to accomplish? Allow the Holy Spirit to guide you as you ask yourself that question. Or do these things hinder what we're trying to do with God and with our family? We can handle that question. You can handle that question. Be honest and be real. Is this beneficial? The next direction we see Paul take is to mention about being mastered by something. And in the um, New International Version of the Bible, he, talk, he, he says, it says mastered. He's worried about being mastered by something, and it leads us to this question that is very, very powerful. Will this, whatever God's laid on my heart, will this enslave me? Will this enslave me? When I was a child, my father would do a very frustrating thing, very frustrating periodically without any warning whatsoever with no clear schedule or knowledge that it was going to happen he would just get rid of television he would just get rid of cable in our house and and it would just it would be spur of the moment it would be out of the blue but cable would be gone and i can imagine how that would wreck many of us today right those of us who have what i believe my grandma would call her shows you know what i mean like she had her shows like if it was just gone and you were in the middle of your shows like that would be horrifying and Honestly, for the rest of us on the outside, we would love to watch that, right? Like, love to watch the meltdown that could happen if your shows were just gone, right? But as a child, thankfully, I was young and I didn't have shows, per se, that I was dependent upon. And so, yes, I missed it. Yes, it was annoying, but I I could figure other things out to entertain myself. Now, I'm pretty sure my father never got rid of the TV because of finances, because of the cost that way. It was more about an honest fear that TV was becoming too much, too controlling, too much of a focus. And that's an honest question, a great question, especially at the start of the new year. I'm not preaching at anything. I'm not preaching at TV. You figure that out. But I encourage us to ask, is there something in my life right now that could enslave me? Something that is enslaving me. Something that I am enslaved to. When that happens, those things become our priority. They become our direction. They become, if we're honest, they become our gods, right? They become our gods because they control us. And forget having a direction. Forget being able to be intentional about something in your life. We've lost the control to choose either of those things. In fact, maybe right now you're saying, I want to choose a new direction in my life. In fact, I've been trying for years or for months or for moments trying to choose a new direction. I want to be intentional with my decisions, but for some reason I always fail at that. And I think when that happens, the understanding is pretty clear. What are we enslaved to? What has overtaken our ability to set our own direction and to be intentional at it? What has taken the control. It is amazing. So often the things that we feel so strongly about being free to do end up enslaving us. Let me say that again because I've seen it in friend after friend in my life. So often the things we feel so strongly about being free to do 
those things end up enslaving us. This new year, what has you enslaved? What has you enslaved? The final direction from Paul has two parts, and I know what you're thinking. This is a pastoral trick, a pastor's trick to try to squeeze four points into a three-point sermon. I understand that, and I would say "Mm, probably happening. All right, probably happening. Now, the first part has to deal with the question of why does something matter, and I think that's the next question for us is we ask, well, why does this matter? If there's something in my life, and that's an important question to ask, why does this thing that I'm dealing with, why does it matter? But Paul gives us the real question to if something should matter or not for us as Christians. And so there's the partial question, but then there's the real question from Paul. The real question for us to ask is this, not why does this matter, but here's how we know if it matters or not. The real question is, does this honor God? The thing that I'm dealing with right now that God has put on my life to to make a change or not, to take a step or not, whatever that is, Does it honor God? Does my life, do my actions, do my hobbies, do I honor God? What does it mean to honor God? I thought that was something important, and so I researched honor in the Greek language. Here specifically, when Paul says honor, he means esteem, value, respect, preciousness, and most specifically, price. Those are some valuable things to ask ourselves in terms of our actions towards God and even our actions for ourselves as God's creation, as the people who Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for. Remember what verses 19 and 20 tell us. It says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have received from God? Yes, as Christians, The Holy Spirit is in us, so our body is a temple. God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in us. And then it continues, Paul says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Does my life honor God? Do I respect where the Holy Spirit lives? Do I respect God? Do I value God in his creation? And do I hold precious the price Jesus paid for me? Furthermore, do I recognize my value as God's creation? Do I respect my decisions for myself and how I am treated as the person that God sees is so precious that he sent Jesus into this world to pay the most incredible price for? That is you. You are of value and of worth to the point where God decided to pay the ultimate price for you. You are precious. I don't know about you, but one of the most frustrating things I face as a a father, a husband, a pastor, a friend is the question of my purpose at times. And it's more that frustration moment, right? Where I say like, does anyone notice me? Does anyone notice what I do? Does it ever make a difference? And that can be frustrating for all of us and it it can change our actions. This week I was wonderfully reminded how my actions years ago, something I didn't even recognize I was doing or was a part of, my actions helped to bring a couple together. They helped to bring someone to Jesus Christ and they helped to lay the foundation for a strong Christian family. And what I was reminded of again and again and again is those simple things that I don't even recognize I'm doing, they matter. It matters. Your decisions matter. You matter. One of the largest reasons 
that we do destructive, pointless, unbeneficial things is because we don't know that we have value. One of the strongest reasons we don't succeed, we don't have direction, we don't live purposeful lives is because we don't believe that we matter. One of the greatest reasons why we don't become all that we can for God is because we don't truly believe we are the precious creation of God of which Jesus paid an incredible price for. And one of the saddest reasons why we don't point others towards God, why we don't shine a bright light for him is because we don't recognize that our actions, every single little action, has the opportunity to bring glory and honor to him. You have incredible value. You absolutely matter. You were so precious to him that he paid the ultimate price for you. And your actions, even the little ones, can bring glory and honor to him. With the many pieces and parts and areas of your life, I encourage you to ask yourself in this new year, are they beneficial? Will they or have they enslaved me? And do they honor God? Again, we won't want to tell you how to live. We want to help you recognize that you can have life to the fullest. We want to help you believe that there is more. I encourage you to live a life that matters to make decisions for a life that is beneficial, to make good choices and to do more in this new year. Grab your dreams. Open your heart for yourself, for your family, for your community. Ask yourself hard questions. Be honest and go forward for God. Would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, God above, God, I pray a blessing right now over everybody present who is just in their hearts, God, they recognize that there can be more. God, may we start there for each and every one of us. May we believe in ourselves. May we recognize our value. God, if if it has to start there, God, please start there for each and every one of us. If we are new to Christianity, new to church, what this place is, God, may we simply start with this. We are valuable. You love us and you love us and hold us in such precious regard that you made the ultimate sacrifice. You paid the ultimate price for us. We are valuable. God, may it start there. May we hold you in honor and glory and may we hold ourselves in value where we look at our decisions and we recognize there can be more and we want to make steps for that God. And so God, for anybody who's looking right now, to make a step either in their walk with you and they're part of a relationship or part of a family or their steps in community and family and God, they recognize they can be more. They recognize they are called to more. God, I ask that you would just help them to ask the honest questions. Is this beneficial? What has enslaved me? And how can I honor you with all that I am? Bless us, God, in these questions. Open our hearts to you. And most wonderfully, give us encouragement, give us empowerment to take the right steps forward for you. Bless us now, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us as we close in worship this morning?